Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel. Uh, NZ National Farmer and uh, Director of Funding HQ, Ginny Giblin Hawks Bay, joins us. Andy McCombs, youth commentator, designer also. Now, first to this, Labour's Grant Robinson is stepping down from politics after a 15 year career as an MP. I think it's been clear for everybody that since the election I've been revisiting my future. Uh, 15 years is a, is a decent stretch here. Uh, I wanted to make sure I helped the Labour team get itself up and running. Uh, and then this opportunity came along. And that opportunity, the role of Vice-Chancellor at the University of Otago. The former Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister will finish at Parliament late March and start at Otago University July. Greens co-leader James Shaw in the House this afternoon said, I think that he is one of, if not the most talented politician of our generation. Winston Peters laid into him. I think he's well fitted. He's going off to a university that's $100 million in debt, having left this country in debt. Barbara Edmonds will be the new finance spokesperson. She's a specialist tax lawyer, also the first finance spokesperson in Labour's history and indeed a Pacifica finance spokesperson. With us, Dr. Bryce Edwards, political analyst, director of the Democracy Project at Victoria University. Bryce, kia ora. Kiara Wallace. So, yeah, um, VC at Otago Uni, uh, in a sense, back to his stomping ground, right? I mean, he was very active in the OUSA, wasn't he, around student loans and that sort of thing, and probably around the time you were in Otago, Bryce. Uh, indeed. I, I was at uh, Otago University in the same year that he started, uh, 1990, and yes, he was uh, making his name even then as a mover and shaker in student politics. And even that word, Prime Minister, was bandied around about him at that stage. He was always destined for bigger things, but he was, uh, you know, he, he led uh, as president of the uh, Student Association. He led um, protests against the government and, in fact, he was even arrested uh, when he had a protest against the then Vice-Chancellor of the University over fees going up. So, you know, it's quite ironic and, you know, poetic that he goes back to then becoming the that VC now. He once campaigned for... Labour leader following David Shearer's resignation, uh, saying back at the time, I think I can unify our party. Could he have made a good leader? Oh, look, he is extremely talented and he's charismatic. Um, I'm not sure if he would have been as good a leader as Jacinda Ardern was for the party, but he probably would have been second best. And of course, he was very close to Ardern, and he he worked, you know, extremely closely behind the scenes with her when she was prime minister. So I think he did get the glory uh, for his talents, and he he was really quite a key part of that leadership. All right, a couple of other points to uh, give to you too, Bryce, but let's bring our panel in straight in. Jenny, your thoughts, your comments on this? Well, I think we've lost a, a great politician. I mean, he was a smart operator. I think he'll be remembered fondly for his intellect, his wit. Um, you know, he was a good sport in the house and he was a good sport on the field. Um, and if I think back uh, around something that I'm quite passionate, which is, is, is sport and women in sport, I mean, under his leadership, I think we've had the best years of women in sport in New Zealand. I could, could be wrong, someone might correct me on that. But, you know, he really did so much for women in sport, which was also fantastic. So um, congratulations to him. And I think it's a loss a to the house. OK, Andy. 
Yeah, it's definitely a loss, especially for the Labour Party, but fair enough uh, when you're facing a government that's undoing all of the work that you've done. But um, he inherited a massive uh, deficit in public services as a finance minister and then had to steer the economy through challenges that no one would have predicted. But we came out the other end of COVID better than most countries and we're really lucky to have someone with empathy making those funding decisions. And I think Barbara Edmonds will be great in the finance portfolio. Um, I believe it's the first time a woman's held that portfolio in the Labour Party as well. You might be able to... Yeah. That's correct. Uh, In terms of Labour now, in terms of uh, how they navigate um, this term, Bryce, that's really the question, isn't it? I mean, that one news very important today showing uh, Labour, I guess, fairly uh, steady, but the Labour leader dropping 10 points to 15% in the preferred Prime Minister rankings. What of Labour now? Yes, I mean, some might have expected that Grant Robertson you know, could have replaced Chris Hipkins, mm. but I, I think Grant Robertson had really lost that uh, appetite to get to the top, and uh, we're now thinking about who else could replace uh, Hipkins, you know, because, yes, uh, he is looking like yesterday's man, and, uh, of course, we've got uh, Kieran McNulty in the wire wrapper, is talked about most as the uh, most likely replacement for him if he does stand down or if his caucus feels there's a need for a change. But David Parker is a bit of that old guard in Labour that I think has got a bit of a spring in his step at the moment, and there's some that see him as, yeah, the person that could take over um, and has a bit more of the intellectual ability to, um, I don't know, take Labour in some fresh directions. He put in a bit earlier. He he went up for leadership earlier, though, didn't he? With yeah. uh, with uh, was it David kind of David Shearer? He came third and uh, third amongst those three. You think that he's what he's learned something? He's got a, a different vision, or what? In some ways, he's um, become a bit more radical than he used to be. So he's a he's a big proponent of wealth taxes and tax reform, and I think he wants uh, Labour to yeah be a bit more experimental or a bit more fresh, um, whereas Chris Hipkins is sort of really wanting Labour to just stay with the status quo, and they don't really he doesn't really think they need to change much. But I think if we had a change to someone like David Parker, there might be a, a refresh. Others talk about Barbara um, oh, um, sorry, I've forgotten the last name of the, the new finance spokesperson. Barbara Edmonds. Um, yeah, Barbara Edmonds as uh, a potential leader as well. And I, I think, again, she would be very talented. That's interesting you say that, Bryce, because um, listening to her stand-up um, this afternoon, I mean, it might have been many many people's first experience of her listening in very long form. Um, pretty formidable uh, in terms of her knowledge around yeah. uh, tax as a specialist. And, um, you know, it came with, a, came with an amount of mana as well. Yeah, no, she's definitely a rising star in Labour and she has a very solid background. Um, yeah, she's done a lot in life uh, as well as uh, being a tax expert. I think yeah. she's raised about seven or eight children. Uh, so, yeah, she's got a lot of life experience. Um, oh, I just was wondering your thoughts on this, Bryce. Now that Grant Robertson's um, shuffled off, um, are, are you thinking that this is also going to be others are going to, because he's left, others are going to peel off as well? Is that what you think may happen? And in yeah. that kind of quest to move slightly back to the to the left? Yeah, I, I think you're right, Jenny. I mean, 
Labor's not about to become get back into government easily, and so there will be a lot of people there who are kind of tired in the party, and they might not have wanted to leave last year, even though they saw that Labor was going into opposition, because it would have been a, a sort of bad you know, uh, look. It would have been a, a vote of no confidence in Labor being re-elected. But there will be some other people that are, are now yeah, looking to move on. And luckily, with the, at least the lists... Um, system, you can have a lot of those list MPs that can just get aside and be replaced immediately without a by-election. Chris Hipkins, um, Bryce, will he last the year? Sorry, can you say again? Will Chris Hipkins last the year? Oh, last the year, wow. Um, There's no doubt he wants to stay in there. People around Labour say that he's digging his, you know, his toes in and he wants to be Prime Minister again in 2026. So he's not wanting to be, he doesn't see himself as just the interim leader. But yeah, those poll numbers, especially dropping 10 points in the preferred Prime Minister stakes, um, really do suggest that uh, the future isn't with Hipkins. And so, yeah, things can be pretty tough on leaders when those polls drop so low. It's hard to also see that he's kind of hungry for the job because I think I listened yesterday actually to RNZ where um, someone was commentating on the fact that he hasn't hasn't released one press release yet this year. I don't know if that's true or not. But, you know, true, yeah. and, and I know he doesn't have the resources of the, um, you know, he doesn't have the media team around him like he, he did when he was in government. But, however, that's, you know, we're, we're nearly at the end of, well, we're mid-February, aren't we? We're past mid-February. I mean, that's kind of extraordinary that the leader of an opposition party has not sent out one press release. So, you know, is yeah. he hungry for that job? I don't know. It does look a bit complacent. I mean, yeah. there is also the view that uh, in the earlier time of a, a, a new government, the opposition is best to stay quiet and not chase it, embark at every passing car and to uh, just let the new government uh, have their honeymoon and then attack. But, uh, yeah, that does seem to be what Labor's doing, and I'm not sure it's a great strategy because there's so much that this government's bringing in that, uh, you know, you need a strong opposition to be, you know, put alternatives, to, you know, be critiquing what the government's doing. So, yeah, I think Labour is failing at that Very at good. the moment. Hey, uh, Bryce, kia ora. Appreciate your time today. That's uh, Dr sure. Bryce Edwards uh, from the Democracy Project, Victoria University. Uh, yeah, um, uh, some responses here. Grant Robinson has spent, taxed and borrowed this country into generational debt, which will take decades to undo. A wasted opportunity, says Andrew. Uh, Paul uh, says otherwise. Grant Robinson was a brilliant politician, highly intelligent, great sense of humour. He had a heart. He'll be sorely missed by many. I wish him well. 19 past four, the panel, uh, Andy McCombs and uh, Jenny Gibbon with me today. Social security benefits adjustment and income tax, the minimum family tax credit amendment bill due for the third reading parliament today. Now, this will link benefits to the Consumer Price Index, the CPI, rather than net average wage growth, as the former government did. Restoring the indexation of main benefits to CPI is projected to save taxpayers $669 million over the forecast period through to 2028. And in June, the Ministry of Social Development will begin work check-ins for job seekers who have been on the benefit for six months, particularly young people. There are 190,000 people 
on the job seek benefit 67,000 more than six years ago. People stay on welfare 13 years on average. With us, Dr. Brody Fraser, Senior Research Fellow at Hekainga Orana Housing and Health Research Program at uh, the Otago University, Wellington. Uh, Dr. Fraser, welcome. Kia ora, thanks for having me. So, ensuring that main benefits keep pace with inflation by indexing them to the CPI, what's wrong with that? Well, it's rolling back some of the um, advice from the Welfare Expert Advisory Group and it's a real concern because our benefits are already quite low in New Zealand and it means they're not going to keep up um, at the pace that they should. They're not going to be enough for people to live on. They're already not enough for people to live on. Um, So it's a real worry. So is increasing sanctions against beneficiaries. Indexing main benefits to inflation as opposed to CPI, uh, uh, sorry, right, to CPI, as is going to happen on the national, that's a measure that's been used for 31 of the past 35 years by governments across the political divide. It's always been done like this. It has, and I'm not an economist, so I'm probably not the person to speak on it. But from what we know, um, with all of the really wonderful work that the Welfare Expert Advisory Group did, that's just not realistic, and it's not a way for it to keep up with the cost of living, especially because we know so many families are in crisis at the moment. All right. Jenny? Um, Look, I think it is a little bit extraordinary that we've got people that are on these benefits that for 13 years. Um, That seems to me to be an extraordinary amount of time. And one of the things I was interested in getting your thoughts on, um, Dr Fraser, is yes, we need to make sure that we're um, increasing benefits either via inflation or CPI, whatever that tool is. But what I'm interested in is what are what are we doing and shouldn't as a country and shouldn't the money be actually shouldn't we be thinking about how do we get people ready for work and how do we get people so that they are able to drive to work, so that they have the right skills to be able to front up and that they have the right skills to be able to front up to work. It seems to me that it's all very well giving money out for ben- to beneficiaries, and I don't I support that. But where's the investment in trying to get these people off the benefit? and into actually paid employment. I think that's a good point that you raise, and it's interesting because a lot of the research that we know, and some of this comes from MSD, um, when the previous national government was um, in, and it was saying that actually benefit sanctions are resulting in people spending more time on benefits, and it's um, keeping them in poverty for longer and longer. So we really need to think about what the goals are of our welfare system and is it to allow people to um, thrive and flourish and if it is I think we need to think about raising benefits significantly so people can get that stability that they need they can stop worrying about their bills about how they're going to feed the kids and then that way they're more able to think about oh maybe I want to retrain or maybe this is the career path for me and really support people the best that we can and get them that wraparound support well, Chris Luxon, so Chris Luxon kind of answered that didn't he he, he, he told job seekers uh, to answer to answer that Brody. Your job is to look for a job. 
It is, but it's also if, you know, you're a single parent on a benefit with a very low income, you've got to think, how am I going to feed my kids today? Um, how am I going to pay for their school activities and get them school uniforms? So it's not just looking for a job. You've also got the stress of living in poverty, which is quite a difficult thing to deal with. Andy. Yeah, just picking up on um, linking benefits to inflation or wages, I think it was the previous Children's Commissioner that said the single best thing that we could do to combat child poverty is to link benefits to wages because that's more realistic of what things are costing. But it's just um, so disappointing that the Minister of Social Development has been on the benefit and referred to it as the hardest time of her life and is now choosing to make her first act in the driver's seat to, to punish people who are receiving little to no help. Um, And during COVID, I was made redundant and thankfully was looked after by MSD. Um, I can tell you that the stress of finding a job in that time would not have been helped by threats of funding cuts. And at the end of the day, beneficiaries still have mouths to feed, bills to pay and children to look after. So. How are you? Absolutely. Keep going, and, uh, I was just going to say, research that I've done on youth homelessness, and we were looking at when young people, what their um, outcomes were after they'd been housed, their incomes after they'd been housed and supported from wages and salary and benefits were about $15,000, and a lot of them were parents. And I don't know about you, but there is no way I would be able to feed myself and house myself, let alone a child as well, on $15,000 a year. I guess the thing to that, though, that the, the counter-argument to that, though, um, Brody, is that there are people who are working and holding down two or three jobs that are also left with the same amount of money and they're actually going to work and they're fronting up and they're possibly paying for childcare and having to juggle the fact, or, and also the emotional, you know, not being there with their children, not being able to go to some of the school activities because they're at work and they still have the same amount of money or even less in their pockets. So, you know, what would you say to that? It's, it's, that's a real problem and I think that's what our welfare state is for you know those families shouldn't have to be getting two or three jobs they should get support from the state if they need it and their wages should be high enough that they can afford to live which they're not at the moment minimum wage isn't high enough it's not a living wage very good to have you on the program dr fraser kia ora. Uh, that's dr Brody fraser senior research fellow at hekainga orana health and so housing and health research program how long were you on the benefit uh, andy it was a few months, but not knowing what's coming next was was part of the the real stress behind it. And In thankfully, as um, well, yeah, just not knowing if the the benefit will will continue to be paid and and um, if work will be there at the other side of things. And you, all you want to do is um, be able to support yourself. And when you're dependent on someone else or the government or whatever. It, it, definitely can feel a bit dehumanising so I just think we need to have a bit more empathy and and love in this um, conversation around. So after a few months what happened? You got a job or they, they supplied you with a job or what happened? Well um, I got offered the job that um, I was made redundant from actually <laughs> so <laughs> it all worked out for me but the thing is it's not going to work out for, for most people right. that are affected by these changes. 27 past 4, be interested to hear your experiences actually uh, if you've had a bit of a stint uh, uh, on the benefit uh, how uh, how were you? How were you looked after? What did you find? How did you make it? Um, what did you make of it? Two one zero, and you can email me the panel at rnz dot co dot nz. Now I uh, asked you for um, your memories, your most memorable concert. I thought with Taylor Swift right now in Australia, creating so many memories for people. That extraordinary series of concerts she's doing, in some cases, what, 95, 96,000 people. I thought, well, Taylor Swift is not the only one. We've had a run 
of um, unbelievable texts. Uh, Rai Kuda at the St. James, 1976, uh, says Pete and Gisborne. Um, Elton John, Yellow Brit Road, the first concert, 35 bucks a ticket. Uh, Ian Dury at, and the Blockheads, Logan Campbell Centre, what a showman, says Peter and Ruokaka. And with us now, we have Cherry in Wellington. Welcome, Cherry. Ah, oh, thank you. What did you see? Who did you see, rather? Bob Marley. <gasps> Best Bo- show ever. Best show ever. Live where? Live at Western Springs in 1979. Oh, my goodness. I've seen the images. I've seen. Tell us about it. Um, okay, so I was 19. My partner at the time and his three uncles drove to Auckland. Uh, we drove to Pyro and picked up my sister and her brother, her husband. And off we all drove in the Mark IV Zephyr to Auckland. Uh, yep. And got there and the vibe was incredible. There was every single dreadlock person in New Zealand and more. Uh, there was gangs, there was bikies, and everyone everyone was just so happy, of course. And you go in the stadium and the police were all lined around the outside at the top of, of Western Springs. And on he came and his year was just like a shower of dreadlocks as he <laughs> sung. And all the concerts, everyone in the concert surged forward and we're all jammed between Black Power and Mongrel Mob and everyone was just... So it was an incredible show. You're incredible taking me concert. there, Cherry. You're taking me there. I've seen the photos, and here I am speaking to a person who was actually there at Western <laughs> Springs to see Bob Marley live. Unbelievable. Yeah. The absolutely best concert I've ever been to. It tops everything. I don't think I can top that. Hey, Cherry, great to have you on. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. My gosh, Bob Marley, Western Springs, 70s. Jenny, what about you? Is there a concert that you will always remember? Jenny, what about um, you? Yeah. As, the, as the U2 concert, um, it was a Love Town tour concert, which was at Athletic Park in um, 1989. I'd left home. I'd been living in Wellington for a year, and that was amazing. I think that was my first proper big girl concert. And I think I've got a T-shirt somewhere at home. I don't know that I can fit it any longer. (laughs) But um, that was amazing. I mean, they're an awesome band to watch live. So that's probably my my absolute favourite. But jeepers, I would have loved to have gone to Bob Marley. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Cherry sold it to me. Uh, Yeah, totally. Really, everybody under the sort of banner of one love. What about you, Andy? Well, in um, in 2017, LCD Sound System were meant to play in Auckland, and I'd booked tickets and flights and accommodation and everything, and about a week beforehand, they cancelled. Um, but two years ago, they announced a residency in New York, the same time that uh, Air New Zealand announced direct flights, and it was on my birthday, so I thought the stars have aligned, so I took me and my beautiful partner over and... Uh, uh, we were up the front for the whole concert. LCD sound system. Yeah, arrived quite early before everyone. Um, and then every 10 seconds I'd look back and another 1,000 people would arrive behind and it was just incredible. Yeah, front row. That's so cool. 
That is so cool. Um, uh, and I'm also a big fan of them too. Uh, mm. There you go. U2 LCD sound system. Another one here, Bjork at the Wellington. Oh, wow. Um, oh, that's amazing. At the Wellington Event Centre in 1995. Outstanding. Such a fun audience as well. Really big response about your experiences uh, on the benefit. Uh, I spent six months on the DPB after my marriage collapsed, went backwards fast, racked up debt with finance. Oh, gosh, look how many are coming in. Um, I am so grateful that I made it through. Um, I racked up debt with iFinance to put tires and warrant on the car, went back to full-time work to try and provide a better life. 25 years later, still don't own my own home, despite my best efforts. You're on the panel, RNZ National, 28 to 5. It's time for headlines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.